Today on Ag News Daily. Um, we really work to try to leverage the new digital technologies that are available today. And we have uh, RESTful APIs that can reach into, let's say, a company's ERP system. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Tuesday from the Ag News Daily crew. It is Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how is your Tuesday? My Tuesday's going pretty good, Ashton. We had the WASD report this morning at 11 a.m., so been watching the markets today pretty heavily. I forgot that today was a WASD day. I feel like it's been some time since we've talked WASD. I mean, just a, a short month, but I feel like for once, time is going by a little bit slower. Mm, I wish I could agree, but time has not been moving slower for me. Well, Delaney, one thing that was a little bit slow today, at least for me, again, was the news wires. What about you? Did you find some good stuff to talk about today? Uh, well, other than WASD, and if you don't mind, let, maybe we should start there, Ashton. Yeah, let's do it. Well, uh, I guess maybe we shouldn't start there. We will, but it really was kind of a non-report, if you will. Um, not a whole lot was put out today about the WASD. It was kind of a non-event as we expected. Usually the March report isn't super exciting, um, but... They did have a few changes that made it a slightly bearish report today. Really, I think the big takeaways today were that global production was raised slightly for soybeans as well as corn. We actually saw them raise Brazilian soybean harvest just slightly. They added 1 million metric tons to their projected outlook. And the cause for that slight increase was they actually adjusted harvest numbers from the 2019-2020 crop and increased yield outlooks for the current harvest or current crop being harvested. So really, those were kind of the big ones here. They didn't touch anything as far as ending stock numbers went. That remained the same for corn, soybeans, and wheat. Um, heading into this report, though, Ashton, we did see markets pretty flat trading one to two cents higher, lower, you know, kind of just skimming around that levels. Following the report, we saw an immediate reaction to the downside. We saw old crop down as much as eight cents um, in the corn markets and in soybeans as much as nine cents lower, but we did not sustain those losses through the end of the trade today. They uh, were able to recover quickly. Like I said, it was just slightly bearish undertones, really not a bearish report long term and really not a huge market mover, Ash, and kind of a snoozer, if you will. Well, Delaney, for folks who are involved in the Farmer Business Network, this next piece of news isn't really a snoozer. Now, we've talked about FBN quite a few times here on the network, and I want to encourage listeners to look back on those episodes if they're not exactly sure what FBN does. But the latest coming from the network is their addition of a new animal health and nutrition platform. And they have acquired Minnesota-based prairie livestock supply businesses to better serve livestock producers. FBN co-founder Charles Barron told Brownfield Ag News that more than half of their members raise livestock and that this new platform will include feed and nutrition services. FBN Pharmacy to fill animal health, pharmaceuticals, and supplies for farmers in 41 states and veterinarian services throughout the upper Midwest. 
Barron says the network is also interested in expanding veterinary partnerships across the country. Farmer Business Network already has some partner vets who is able to provide services in central and upper Midwest Iowa, Minnesota, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, and Montana, but they are looking to expand that range. Barron also said that after analyzing member data, the network found pharmaceutical prices could vary up to 75% on products, which is why they created FBN Pharmacy, which is being operated out of Newton, Iowa, to provide more competitive and transparent prices for producers nationwide. All right. Good to see FBN in the news today, Ashton. Uh, Let's see. Switching tracks a little bit. I want to talk. I guess, again, a little bit more about some market news here. Uh, Two pieces of wheat-related news. So far, we saw USDA posted data earlier today for wheat, excuse me, winter wheat conditions. And as of March 7th or the week ending March 7th, we saw quite a bit of concern for damaged crops through those extreme temperatures that you suffered down there in Texas, Ashton, as well as a lot of the northern plains and Midwest. Analysts are saying that cold snap is really threatening the winter wheat crop in states like Texas and Kansas, and USDA rated about 53% of Oklahoma winter wheat in good to excellent condition, so up slightly for that state. Kansas, however, the top wheat producing state, received a lower rating for winter wheat in good to excellent conditions at 36%. Texas also saw a slight decline dropping down to just 27% in good to excellent conditions. And we did see wheat futures fall on Monday, responding to those forecasted rains in the southern plains and Midwest, potentially adding to some soil moisture after a drier winter. We also saw some other winter wheat news or wheat news altogether, really, I should say, and that was coming out of Russia today. Russian wheat exports have increased 32% so far, according to a Russian agency. They said shipments for the current season have totaled about 34.4 million tons as of March 4th. And this means that exports have not been pulled back, even though they have those um export duties in place to limit the export of Russian wheat. So far, we really haven't seen that hold back any winter wheat or spring wheat or red wheat uh, from leaving Russia's borders. So still a little unsure on what that duty, that export tax tariff will do for Russian wheat supplies moving forward. Well, Delaney, I know that a lot of folks did have questions on how this winter weather last month was going to affect wheat, so I'm glad that you stayed on top of it. But one story that I am trying to stay on top of is those cattle that have been floating on ships in the sea over in Spain for quite some time. I reported on it, my gosh, I think it was a, has been two or so weeks ago now, and it's now been determined by the vet services in Spain as of February 25th that these animals are unfit for transportation and ordered them to be slaughtered. But the vet's report didn't say if the cattle tested positive for blue tongue or not. I don't know, you know, if they did test positive for blue tongue. Um, I mean, it just makes sense that they would, you know, just be slaughtered. But if they tested negative for blue tongue, it just kind of makes me wonder why they are still unfit for transport. I mean, they've been 
on these ships for for months now. So I guess it kind of makes sense in my mind, but there's still some questions floating out there. But the big news that I wanted to talk about today concerning this is Greece delivering 50 tons of animal feed to that Togo flagged Elbeck ship, which has been stuck at sea as we know, and they are docked in the Mediterranean currently. So, you know, as the story goes, they were going from Spain to to Turkey, but now they are docked in the Mediterranean. It's kind of a hard a hard list to follow. But um, after they set sail, I'm not sure where they're setting sail to after they do get this shipment of feed from Greece, but they are going to set be set to slaughter. So I don't think that they're going to be slaughtered for human consumption. Like I said, there's still kind of a couple of questions in the air there, but going to just stay on top of this to see if we can see any of this meat be uh, put into the production line. All right. Well, you'll keep an eye on that story, Ash, and I'm keeping an eye on a story coming out of China. After committing to its largest ethanol purchase ever, exports of ethanol have finally began begun to be delivered to China. Reuters reported three ships have embarked from the U.S. Gulf Coast carrying an amount of ethanol that will surpass China's total ethanol imports from last year alone. So this is a good, quote unquote, shot in the arm for the ethanol industry as we see demand starting to pick up here. Ashton, I think this would absolutely be a good uh, interview to have again here on the podcast, a good conversation to have to see is this demand that China is showing? Is this a long term supply or a long term demand we're going to see here? Is this short term? But definitely good news for the Ethanol and renewable fuels industry, no doubt, especially when we've seen this industry suffer so much here during COVID-19. It's good to see that they've got a little bit of silver lining uh, moving forward here. Well, Delaney, my last story of the day is just kind of a wrap up from last week's Commodity Classic. This year, sorghum producers are finally receiving an answer to whether or not they're going to get a product that would control in-season grasses. And it's coming in the form of three new herbicide-tolerant technologies. Brent Bean of the United Sorghum Checkoff Program, who we have had on the podcast before, I believe it was back in October. So again, folks, another podcast that you might want to go listen to just talking about soybean harvest and hybrids. But being said during Commodity Classic or detailed, I should say, these new technologies and and folks, if you're wanting more information about these technologies, I'm going to put this article in our news release or not our news release, but our newsletter later this week. So keep your eyes out for it. But the three products are iGrowth Sorghum marketed by Advanta. Enzyme Sorghum, marketed by Cortiva slash Pioneer, and Double Team Sorghum, marketed by S&W. And folks might have a little trouble trying to actually find these on the market, as I think that it was just Enzyme and, and Double Team Sorghum are going to be part of a limited launch for 2021 by their respective companies. But if you're interested in growing or looking into the iGrowth Sorghum, I think that you can find that one a little bit easier. I'm not sure of the details completely, but again, I'll be putting this article for you know further info on our news release, or I keep saying news release, our newsletter that comes out on Friday mornings. 
Yes, our weekly newsletter. We've got maybe some special news coming out of this week's newsletter. So folks, if you're not subscribed to that newsletter, you can find it on our website, globalagnetwork.com, and you can sign up for it there. But Ash and I have one final piece of news. It's kind of a fun piece of news, I think, here to top up top off our news segment for today. And that is uh, talking about beer. South Korea, their overall imports of beer unfortunately declined in 2020. They apparently were not taking place and drinking more during COVID-19. They were in fact drinking less. But we actually saw United States exports of U.S. beer increase to South Korea, some $35 million worth up about 3% compared to 2019. And while that doesn't seem like a substantial increase, the Asian country's overall beer imports dropped 19% during the pandemic. Ashton, they really were not drinking more beer like maybe a lot of folks were here in the United States. But they said one reason that imports from the United States rose during this downturn is due to a new tax policy that reduces the tax burden for higher quality beers, including U.S. craft beer. So U.S. craft beer folks definitely got a win there, which is, of course, a win for U.S. agriculture, barley, uh, especially, you know, malted beverages, craft beer. You got to use some grains in there. But I just thought that was kind of a fun little piece of news for today. South Korea did not drink more beer during the pandemic. That is some fun news to end on, Delaney, but uh, I guess we're not really ending on it because we've still got to talk where the markets ended for today. So why don't you go ahead and take us there? Absolutely, Ashton. And it's a little less fun maybe when you're looking at some markets today, but for the most part, we were relatively higher across the grain complex. March corn really in March and May, I should say, really were the only two contracts today that pulled back across the grains as the March lost three cents to close at 562. The D's up three and a quarter cent to close at 484 and three quarters. In soybeans today, the May contract up six and a quarter cents to close at 1440. The November up seven and three quarter cents to close at 1262 even. In the Chicago wheat pits today, the May contract adding 10 cents to close at 6.56.5, the December up 7.5 cents to close at 6.54. And in livestock today, sorry, my markets have not been working on this computer. I think I need to clear my cash history. Okay. And in livestock today, green across the screen. April live cattle up 30 cents today to close at 119.65. The June up 50 cents to close at 119.65. Feeder cattle today, the March contract adding $1.80 to close at 137.15. The April up $2.40 to close at 142.07 and a half. And in lean hogs today, the April contract adding $1.05 to close at 88.35. The May up $1.10 to close at 90.77 and a half. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures. March, a penny higher today to close at 16.36. The April up 14 cents to close at 17.89. Ashley, without further ado, why don't you fill us in on who we're talking to for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Today, we're talking about blockchain technology with Trace Harvest. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are talking to Sid Sifkin, who is the Director of Business Development for Agriculture Markets at Trace Harvest. 
Sid, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Thank you. Happy to join. So before we get started about talking about Trace Harvest, the technologies that you guys are using, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what exactly you're doing with the company? Yes, thank you. Um, I work as the Director of Business Development. I work uh, specifically in the agricultural marketplace. So really my job is to outreach with those companies that are interested in working with the blockchain technology and being able to leverage a network that would share information uh, across multiple parties. And, you know, we do a mix of education, uh, of uh, use case definition, and really work to help companies get started uh, with this new technology in a way that will serve them in the long term. Sid, I'm glad that you mentioned that keyword there, the blockchain technology. Why don't you go a little bit more in depth about what exactly that technology is? Yes, and I think, uh, excellent question. The blockchain technology is a way to be able to be the backbone for data exchange between multiple parties that have common interests. So if you think of the supply chain where you want to share information, um, perhaps out of one uh, digital system, maybe an ERP system to another, and there's not really a a way to do that easily today, um, the blockchain can be the underpinning technology that moves key information from one party to another. It creates an immutable record. uh, That is a record that cannot be changed or edited so that you have a high level of trust in the information that is being presented between parties. So Sid, how exactly are you going from, you know, seed to harvest? How are you collecting that data to be able to actually put it on the platform? Question. Um, We really work to try to leverage the new digital technologies that are available today. And we have uh, RESTful APIs that can reach into, let's say, a company's ERP system. So we've done uh, the digital integration to SAP, for example. Uh, We work with other tools to help digitize uh, contracts, such as DocuSign. And then uh, with that information being included on the blockchain, we can pass key information to the next participant. And we do this with a tool uh, that's called a smart contract. And that smart contract uh, can be a contract to buy, sell, like you would normally think, or it could be a contract in terms of what we're delivering for information and a mechanism by which we confirm that that information has been delivered Uh, received and acted upon. And so it's uh, a way in which we've done that from uh, a manufacturer to a dealer, uh, also out to the growers. And and perhaps I'll talk a little bit more about uh, on-farm data collection uh, in a minute. So from a sustainability standpoint, how does this information that you guys are able to access really help the farmer to optimize their operations? Sometimes when farmers are working on unique crops, and I think that's really where our technology is starting. If you have a specialty crop, you may have some uh, markets that you're trying to fill. I know that uh, 
many growers are looking at uh, new new crops to grow and new applications for that. Oftentimes, if you're going to grow under contract, there's going to be a way in which you want to share production information. You may want to be able to share uh, maybe the location of where the crop has grown, the fact that it has been in your care, and then you're delivering on those contracts. And so there's the opportunity to have the traceability of the information surrounding the production in order to fulfill the requirements of that contract. So Sid, what crops are you guys working with right now? Are you just working with certain crops specifically or are you, you know, reaching that specialty crop market? Yeah, so we, we started with some of the unique uh, seed varieties, uh, those that have been uh, deemed to be identity preserved so that there would be a trait that you would want to be able to um, really capture and move through that value chain. It might be a particular trait that's going into uh, a, a particular production uh, output. Uh, sometimes you go to the ethanol facilities and they want a particular uh, starch to make their uh, processing go smoother. Um, we've also done it with uh, some soybeans, and sometimes you have the high lake soybeans that have unique properties that you want to be able to track all the way from the seed through production to delivery and know that, in fact, that that particular uh, variety with that um, uh, particular composition is making it to the desired contract. Uh, there's one other thing, too, that we've uh, just really starting on this year, Ashton, and that's working with verifying some of the non-GMO corn production. Um, that allows growers to um, be able to differentiate uh, the non-GMO corn and then allow them to contract with some of the export markets. And they really want to have visibility into uh, ensuring that that crop, in fact, is planted as non-GMO, harvested as non-GMO. And that's clean outs along the way are keeping that product pure so that they have uh, excellent reception on the other end for international buyers. So, Sid, earlier you mentioned that you, you know, might talk about on-farm data collection a little bit more in depth. So why don't you go ahead and, and take us to that place? Sure. Um, again, thinking about blockchain being a digital technology, uh, I've spoken about how we've integrated with ERP systems. We've also had the opportunity to integrate with farm management uh, information systems uh, that farmers may be using uh, on their tractors uh, for planting today. Uh, one of those is an example is climate field view, where the grower can opt in to share data with the blockchain. And the beauty of that is, is that then passes seamlessly through that digital interface. So the only thing a grower has to do is behave like they normally would during a, a planting cycle. And that information that they capture in field view will then uh, be able to be passed on to the Trace Harvest Network. So Sid, when we're talking about connecting, you know, all these people along the supply chain line, with Trace Harvest, there's you know quite a few people to keep in mind. So why don't you try and kind of just go over who exactly it is you're connecting, you know, throughout this entire process? I think that's excellent. Um, you know, first of all, we want to say we're going to start with some of the input providers that can be bought products, seed, uh, plant protection products, um, and really help with that traceability. We also engage at the dealer level uh, that is moving that seed to the field. 
Uh, we've engaged with growers. Uh, we've engaged with some of the companies that are uh, new in the digital spaces uh, around grain, grain merchandising. Um, we've done some work with a company called Bushel that is helping with marketing of grain uh, at the local elevator level. And then ultimately, uh, we're moving on to the processors that are actually taking those raw ingredients and further processing them into food and, and foodstuffs along the way. So uh, we're working to connect that entire value chain from seed into production. So, Sid, I think that the big question now that we've discussed all of this is, is the why. So, like, why should farmers be using Trace Harvest? You know, what is the benefit to using this program? Sure, and that's a, that's a great question. The one thing that I would say is um, if you're just growing, let's say, number two yellow corn, for example, you know, you may not have an immediate need for this, uh, and, that's, and that's typically fine, right? If you're a producer where you're looking at what is the next opportunity to grow uh, higher value crops, maybe with unique properties that you feel that there's a market for, uh, then I think it really has a great application for that. Again, I mentioned two examples, the non-GMO corn, the high-lake soybeans, for example, where you know you can get a premium in the marketplace. But that premium is going to need some additional traceability. And that's where the blockchain really helps both the producer and the buyer of that product feel comfortable that they are, in fact, getting exactly what they uh, are desiring in the way of especially high-value crops. Well, Sid, if our listeners want to learn a little bit more information about Trace Harvest and maybe even get a hold of you to further talk about that, how can they do so? The best thing uh, that I would do is simply go to the internet, uh, search up Block Apps and our Trace Harvest Network. Um, we have a great landing page for our Trace Harvest Network and the ability to register to receive more information from us. Uh, we have got a really nice frequently asked questions section, and I am certainly eager to uh, connect with you directly. Again, uh, you can you can go to my email address which is SID, S-I-D, at blockapps.net. And that will uh, get you directly to me. Uh, and again, likewise, uh, check out the webpage and respond to that. And we're eager to connect and, and help explain how this technology will become a part of the future. Well, Sid, thank you again so much for coming on and talking about Trace Harvest with us. Thanks again there to Sid from Trace Harvest for coming on and talking to us about blockchain technology and, you know, connecting all of the people that are involved in the supply chain together. I, you know, when I think about the supply chain, I don't think about how many like nooks and crannies there are. And so it just kind of makes sense to connect it all in one space. Absolutely, Ashton. It's fascinating stuff what they're doing there at Trace but it, there's lots of fascinating conversations that we have here on the podcast. So folks, be sure to catch up on any of our past episodes. You can find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Ashen with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.